because for me it was an intellectual question like to 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 disbelieve in god just didn't even make sense intellectually so i was always in that place but i didn't know that god wanted anything from me you know Hello, Internet, and welcome to Season 2 of Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington, and when I started this thing, they were like, Dude, you won't last a season. Actually, nobody said that. No, nobody, I don't know if you, anybody even noticed when I started this thing. Um, but here we are. It's been a year. Um, this is our first July episode of 2020. I started this July 1st of 2019. Um, since I've started this episode, I believe the world exploded. Um, we were all eaten by cannibalistic plants. Um, and I believe it was revealed that, um, meatloaf actually had done that or, or something, um, in that order. I, I think that's how, how everything went down anyway, but here we are, um, in the year of our Lord, 2020, uh, we're, at the bottom half of the year, uh, July 1st. So you made it halfway through the, the, the boss stage, I guess. Um, this show, (laughs) meanwhile, is one of the few things you can depend on in this crazy world, because we're still talking to people about changing their minds about honestly, pretty similar stuff to what we talked about last season. Um, last season, I talked to Brian Thomas, who had gone Southern Baptist to uh, Eastern Orthodox. This season around, I talked to a friend of mine, Jason Kettinger, who went from Presbyterian to Catholic, um, which is kind of a similar jump, but like a shorter one. So <laughs> hopefully that's not overly anticlimactic. Um, Jason's a cool guy. He write, he blogs a lot at uh, kettinger.blogspot.com. Um, um, he's written some for Called to Communion, which is an online journal for specifically for Reformed and Presbyterian Christians who have gone Catholic. Um, as someone kind of sitting on the fence in this milieu of high church Lutheranism, I find these, find these stories really interesting. Um, so it was an interesting conversation. Um, it might be a little bit inside baseball for uh, people who, listeners who are not Christians, but that's kind of how this show has gone, even if I didn't necessarily set out to do a quote-unquote Christian show. Um, but we talked about Catholicism, we talked about Bigfoot, and we talked a bit about life in a wheelchair. So it's an interesting conversation. I'll go ahead and flip you over to Jason, let him speak for himself, and I'll see you on the other side. Jason, before we get into it today, I want to ask you the question that I know is on all my listeners' minds, which is, were you the one that bought up all those empty seats at Trump's failed rally in Tulsa last night? Yes, absolutely, I did. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I was, I shouldn't say this. I, no, I was performing a public service for America. Too, too much? Hashtag, too soon. Yeah. Hashtag hero. Um, <laughs> The internet said that it was K-pop fans. So does that does that mean you're a K-pop fan or <laughs> There's definitely some overlap there. <laughs> I don't know. I'm kidding right now. I'm kidding. I don't know if um I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show before. It's not a secret. I lived in Tulsa for about 10 years. Um so I was certainly witness to some of the ugliness um there. Um it used to be an open secret. It, it was one of those weird things that nobody ever talked about. And now thanks to like Watchmen on HBO, everybody talks about it. But there was a massive race riot there 99 years ago. Ra- race riot would be the <laughs> the white friendly word for it. It was really more of a massacre. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, it was um, <laughs> what was happening there was clearly designed to uh, touch off yet another uh, riot of sorts. And I'm very relieved and glad to see that it was completely unsuccessful. We're recording this the day after the the Trump rally, which was it was 
basically just it ended up being just Donald Trump talking to an empty room. Um, <laughs> like I what I think what I, the official figure I heard was like twenty five percent of capacity, um, which is just ridiculous. I guess um, I guess that means less spread of the virus. So that's good. I guess I don't know. They um, weren't necessarily this, social distancing, so that's the the letdown of the whole thing. Uh, they could have <laughs> yeah. been, you know. I know, right? Like when you're in an arena, in, an, in a practically empty arena, and there's a deadly virus going around, and you're actively choosing to sit in a big cluster and <laughs> not wear masks. Like I don't know. Um, well, it'll be interesting to see if any Trump supporters are still alive by the time the election happens. Uh-huh. Is that? Is that, is that a little tasteless? I, 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 don't I, I don't. I know that. I know the numbers are are shrinking, but I don't think they're that small. So I think I think they should be okay <laughs> as far as somebody somewhere who voted for Donald Trump still being around. But I guess we'll see, won't we? Yeah, I guess so. Um, so the thing is, we record these episodes so far in advance. This one's not going to go up for like a week and a half. So by the time we actually publish this, it'll be completely dated. But whatever. Um, nice. <laughs> probably probably like nine other horrible catastrophes <laughs> will happen between now and then. And people will be like, why why weren't they talking about like the nukes that China launched at South Korea? Yeah, they're so behind um, it. Come on, man. And now if something like that actually happens, I'll just seem like a monster. Um <laughs> You can blame me. But why don't we, we, we should probably get into what we're actually supposed to be talking about, which I assume is um, your conversion to Catholicism. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you were coming from a Presbyterian. That's, that's right. I, that's I right. right. I was, a, I was a Presbyterian. I was a member of the Presbyterian church in America for. Oh uh, yeah. Years. That one. My wife worked for them briefly for a year. And it was the most miserable experience of her life. Wow. Okay. <laughs> was it a mission mission agency and or was it a church? It it was uh, it was RUF Reform oh. University Fellowship. There. Um, yeah, she was interning with them. With their campus I, ministry. Yeah, because I was part um, of RUF. Actually, that's that's part of the story. That seems to be how they how they draw people in unwittingly. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but the short version of that story. Uh, for people looking for juicy gossip is that the campus minister that she, who was in charge of her was caught in a affair. Oh no. Um, yeah. So that was kind of the big exclamation point on a miserable year of interning. He was fired and defrocked of course, but gosh, um, sheesh. Anyway, after that, my wife looked at me and said, I don't think I can be a Presbyterian anymore. And that's well, why I'm a Well, quite Lutheran. honestly, I don't blame her for that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I gotcha. Um, previously on the show, we did have um, Brian Thomas on who uh, converted from Southern Baptist to Eastern Orthodox, which in some ways is a similar, if more extreme journey. Um, but I'm hoping that you'll bring something new to the table. So the pressure's on. Are you going to bring something new to the table? Well, since I didn't hear his episode, uh, all bets are off because I I might be stale like old bread or I might say something that he was nowhere in the neighborhood of. So we'll... This will just be a direct sequel. Christians who have gone from less traditional forms of Christianity to more traditional forms of Christianity, Um, which I have... I've told people I didn't set out to have a quote-unquote Christian podcast necessarily, but generally what I have access to is mostly Christians. (laughs) So most of of my guests have ended up being Christian, and we end up talking about a lot of Christian stuff, which I'm fine with. Like, it's not like I was trying to make a not-at-all-Christian podcast. It's just... It is what it is. Well, Um, and I think in general that spiritual topics will remain highly relevant no matter where someone's coming from or where someone's going. We, we don't become, uh, unspiritual, you know, I, I think the idea of secularism as a myth. Well, and I, I mean, at some point in your life, you have to answer basic questions of metaphysics for yourself or like, what do I believe? You know, even if, I mean, even if you're going to go the, the Richard Dawkins atheist style route, like you have to ask, right. You have right. To ask those questions to get there. Um, so, and you know, it's it's true that that religion and spirituality are inescapable. 
topics. Um, you know, I, I never personally set out to be a Christian writer, but I found that no matter what I tried to do, I ended up writing about God. Yeah. So, <laughs> here I am, you know, po- poised to release my first nonfiction book with a Christian publisher. And that's where we are. Um, so I guess time makes fools of us all. I don't know. Um, I might, I, you know, I'll probably just be stuck in the Christian writer and blogger ghetto forever. Um <laughs> And I'm okay with yeah, that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> if it happens, it happens. Everyone should buy my horror novel, though, because um, I worked hard on it. Anyway, um, why don't we talk <laughs> about you? Since theoretically, this show is supposed to be about you and your journey. And you know, I mean, we can talk more about me if you want. But uh, I am kind of enjoying it. But yeah, we we talk whatever you want. I'm like Donald Trump. I make everything about myself. I'm just <laughs> charming about it. Right. Trust me, you're funnier okay. than he is. <laughs> that is a low bar, sir. Um, but why don't we why don't we talk about you? Um, I gave him a quick, you know, a quick shout out to your blog and to your contributions to Call to Communion. Is there anything else you'd like to tell the world, given the you know the twenty second version of who is Jason Kettinger? Yeah, I mean, this is maybe a weird place to start, but I. I can remember I I was in love with history uh, ever since I was very young. And I remember learning American history and flipping through uh, a history book and and finding a person that just jumped off the page to me. And it was William Jennings Bryan. So and and I'm sitting there in like eighth grade and into high school and going, okay, William Jennings Bryan is my guy. I find him fascinating. I want to read books about him. I want to. I want to know as much as I can about him. And so, and so I did. And I was like, and as I, and as I became Christian a little bit later and also getting interested in history and politics and, and, you know, public policy or whatever you want to say, I'm like, well, if there was one guy that could, could bring all this together, it was this guy. So when I started my blog, Safe Haven, I, I was like, I want to be, this is so weird, but I was like, I want to be my generation's William Jennings Bryan. Um, so th- that's a weird place to start that story. So th- <laughs> that's me. So I always tell people, I, I know about the two things that you're not supposed to talk about at parties, religion and politics. <laughs> so well, there, you, there you go. So that, that's me in a nutshell, really. Well, as someone with um, Nebraska roots, I definitely approve of anyone who is a William Jennings Bryan fan. Um, yeah, so cool. Um, why don't we um, talk about what you changed your mind about? Um, you went Presbyterian to Catholic, um, but you you just mentioned just now that you uh, didn't start out as a Christian at all. So um, why don't we start? Oh, there, that's then? right. Yeah, um, I mean, why why don't we talk about how you found your way to the Christian faith to begin with. Let's start there. Well, I I would have to say the best way I can say this is it was a series of really strange, um, miraculous slash mystical occurrences. Um, All right. So, well, I mean, right, right off the bat, I'm wondering how you ended up Presbyterian if you're having miraculous and mystical experiences. <laughs> yeah, right, because we don't do that. If, if, uh, if I'm having miraculous and mystical experiences, I feel like Presbyterian is the la- last flavor of Christianity I would, I would look to. <laughs> but, um, well, you know, yeah, we've, we are a bit—I can still say we, I think— um, we are a bit like the spiritual Vulcans of, of the Christian world, you know, but, um, but how that happened was that, you know, after I had these crazy experiences, then these Presbyterians just grabbed me and they're like, okay, so you had a great experience. Now we got to add some intellectual heft to the, to your personal experiences of faith in, in Jesus. And so... So is this um were you this during your college years? Yeah, or this when is was early this? early college. I mean, uh, our friends at Reformed University Fellowship grabbed me and they uh they they taught me the scripture and I'm still deeply indebted to those men uh to this day and I became a an RUF Bible study leader and the whole nine yards. 
And so, okay, I want to interrupt you there, actually, because I'm, yeah. I find myself really curious. And if, if you're not comfortable talking with about this, that's fine. But I, I want to know about these mystical slash miraculous experiences. Like what, what happened? Well, um, I'm going to tell you about one of them. I, I may leave the other one mysterious, um, but I'll, okay. <laughs> I'll tell you about one of them. I had my grandfather uh, was... Uh, became a Christian in like 1997 or so, or at least it okay. seemed to me. Uh, I don't, I don't see him all that often, so it may have been happening before that for him. Um, and that was, and that was another community in his case. But he was really excited about it, and he he gave me a Bible. And since I was an intellectual, and he knew that, he gave me an amplified Bible. So I'm sitting there with my amplified Bible and all its extra words and all its like, these are the, you know, these are the alternate translations of these words that you're reading here. And I'm reading this amplified Bible and all of a sudden, um, I get this insight and I have this moment where I just go, and I'm going to say it this way. If you'll pardon the, well, it would be a blasphemy, but I'm talking about God. I said, oh, I said, oh my God, it's all true. And I, so I'm, I'm sitting there 18 years old, and I just have had this, you know, I'm reading the Bible, and I go, oh, every word of this is true. I mean, I think I was a little bit curious about it, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And before that, I had read uh, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People by Rabbi Kushner, and so I was starting to get curious about issues of theodicy and the purpose of life and that kind of a thing. Um, and then I have this experience. And then, okay, I'll give you another one. So, sure. so I had that experience. And then one of my friends, before it was like it was like senior year, early in the morning, senior year of high school. And one of my friends goes, hey, um, we're having an early morning FCA meeting before school starts. Do you want to come? And so I go, well, I'm not an athlete, not sure I'm a Christian. I'm not sure I'm a Christian yet either, but I'll come. And, and, and for, for listeners who don't know, FCA is fellowship of Christian athletes. It's like a Christian. Yeah. I didn't even bother to fill that in. Thank you, Luke. Good, good job. Yeah. (laughs) So, so I go in there and this cat is like, is like preaching from John chapter 10. Uh, and in John chapter 10, Jesus says, um, my own sheep hear my voice and they follow me and they don't follow anyone else. They only follow me. Hmm. And I had another one of those moments and I got really emotional just even inside. I don't think anyone else saw it, but I, I said, Oh, I think Jesus is calling out to me personally. I think I'm, I'm one of the people that he is, is seeking out. And so I was like, Hmm. all right, I'm, I'm a Christian. I don't really know what that means, but I, like, and, and let me back up a little bit and say, you know, my brother and I, and my, I, my sister that came later, we were not raised with anything at all. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you would have asked us, we would have said, oh yeah, sure. I mean, we believe in God because, because for me, it was an intellectual question. Like to, to, to disbelieve in God just didn't even make sense intellectually. So I was always in that place, but I didn't know that God wanted anything from me. You know, um, I didn't Mm -hmm. grow up that way. I didn't grow up like, okay, uh, we're religious and we do these things and we follow these rules. It wasn't like that. It was just, it's a purely intellectual matter. Does God exist? Sure. He does. Kind of dumb question is that, Mm. um, so, (laughs) you know, with, yeah, I know you probably have some atheist guests or whatever, and that's a whole different, you know, that's coming at it from a different direction. But for me, uh, on the one hand, it was obvious, okay, God exists. But on the other hand, I didn't know that that meant anything for my life or, Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know that it would impact me. I didn't know that it would become the driving force of my life, which it still is. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, saying I, I get that because saying just God exists like a deity exists isn't necessarily saying anything at all that has bearing on anyone's life. It's like if I said Bigfoot exists, you know, like the average person would probably be like, right. so what? Like <laughs> Bigfoot, Bigfoot has nothing to do with my day to day life. Why should I care that Bigfoot exists? Um, but um, yeah, I mean, when, once you get into um, uh, Christianity and realize, hey, this stuff really 
directly matters and to how I should be living my life. Yeah. Um, so I get that. Yeah. Um, I, I guess maybe I should back up on what I said earlier about the mystical thing, because to me, that sounds like actually does sound like a very Presbyterian experience of thinking, Oh, I'm one of Jesus sheep who I'm calling like, I'm one of the elect, which is a big Presbyterian <laughs> right. thing, right? The inward call of the Holy Spirit, irresistible grace, right. et cetera. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of understand um, why you might have found your way into uh, Presbyterianism from that. So can we talk about that? How you found your sure, way into Sure. And, and quite honestly, I don't think um, I don't think it has much to do with the theological particulars of being reformed. I just I was loved by loved and taught by people who were already reformed. So for me, it was like, oh, well, you know, if, if this guy, if that's what he believes, then, then I believe that, that too. Um, not uncritically, but like everybody has, everybody has networks of trust, right? Trust. So you, sure. you, you know, I trust this person or I've learned from this person and ironically, it's like a tradition that gets passed down. And I'll, I'll leave that as a little seed for things that we're going to talk about later. But but yeah, it was it was the personal mm. relationships of being discipled by guys that were already reformed. So um, mm. and being I, I guess even though I'm a super emotional guy that I have this <laughs> this really analytical, logical side. So, yeah, that whole Calvinist mm. way of leaning into the world probably didn't hurt, sure. but I, yeah. um, sure. yeah, but it was probably kind of lucky in that way. Mm-hmm. If there is such a thing. Yeah. One thing I've found that I'm learning or at least being made to think about more as I, as I do this show is just how much a belief is determined. I, I'm trying to think of a <laughs> of a not condescending way to say this um, because I, I mean I mean this in general for everybody and not just for you but how much a belief tends to be determined by community like by the communities you find yourself in less than by like cold hard facts or you right. know, even like what appeals to you personally it's it's always our, our beliefs always almost always seem to be believed and held in community um and it's it's just it's it, you know it's it's maybe 10 percent facts and 10 percent your preferences and like 80 percent of the people you find yourself living and and uh interacting with yeah um, and there's and there's two ways you can go with that right in terms of the the basic theism question it could be you know this this allegedly supernatural truth is originating from this community or it's it's just designed that way by God that that beliefs and practices should be um, enculturated in community. And so de- de- depending on where you're sitting, you could go either way with that. You know what I mean? So I definitely I agree with what you're saying, because we are human beings, it seems, are unavoidably social. Cue the ancient cue the yeah. ancient philosophers on that one. So I, I think you're right on that point in a, in a general way. And then people can take that whatever direction they like, depending on where they're sitting. So this is happening while you're in college. Um, I forgot to ask, what college was this? I went to the University of Missouri, Columbia. Okay, right on. Um, so you graduate uh, from Missouri, um, Mizzou, as the kids say. Yep, yep. Um, you graduate from Mizzou. At that point, are you still Presbyterian? Yep. Yep. And, and as a matter of fact, uh, I had just spent the previous four years, uh, being an upperclassman Bible study leader, uh, wow. For reformed, reformed (laughs) university fellowship. So it was like become a Christian 98, uh, receive baptism in Oh one Bible study leader, graduate college seminary. (laughs) So it was like, yeah, it was, you know, because because you do that, you lead Bible studies and you get really deep in the word. I, I did an interview with this guy on like local access TV at Mizzou and, and they had a Christian show. And so this dude was interviewing me and they're like, tell me about the aftermath of your conversion. And I was like, I don't think I read anything else but the Bible for the next seven months. 
And I <laughs> seriously, I think I became a Christian and I was like, I'll read the Bible for seven months. So it was crazy. Nerd. Right? If, <laughs> but you'll you'll come to know and if you and if you get lucky enough or unlucky enough to hang out with me in person, you'll find out that I have these weirdly I have like these addictive personality things. So <laughs> I get really into stuff and I just beat it into the ground. Um and that's me. So that's what I did with the Bible right after I had these weird experiences as I just read it like a crazy person. That's great, man. I, I'm always jealous of people who have like actual passions, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like things they get passionate about. They're like, I can't stop doing X or I can't stop, you know, reading whatever. And I'm like, I can't stop sitting on the couch and doing nothing. That's what I'm. <laughs> oh man. Someday, someday I'll have a passion. Um, You're an author. You're a published again. author. Be, be kind to yourself. <laughs> I guess that's true. I'll tell you something though. Like this is total rabbit trail and it's about me again because I'm making things about me again. That's what I do. Um, the only reason I really ended up as a full-time writer was because writing was just wor- worked out for me. You know? <laughs> yeah. I was, in place, I was in this place where I had a brand new baby. So I was, I was having kind of that quarter life crisis of like, Oh no, my life is passing away and I'm not doing anything with it. Um, and also I had just lost my job from like the umpteenth time because, you know, I came of age during your session. Um, I, I had been teaching and I was like, well, that's over. I don't, I don't really want to go back to teaching, whatever. Um, so I was like, I, I'm just going to try to do something. So I started like I joined a band, you know, and I started auditioning for plays and like just local community theater shows. And I started writing and I was like, well, one of these will take off. <laughs> That's pretty much how it, how it happened, how it went it was like the writing took off and everything else just kind of crashed. and burned, I don't know. So. You say you have no passion, but you're doing all this creative stuff. I, I, I'm, I'm envious <laughs> of that. You know, I. I was I was passionate about not wanting to die without having accomplished anything. <laughs> yeah, we all get that sooner or later, right? I, I I'm 40 yeah. and I still feel like, oh, okay, when am I gonna arrive? You know, so there we are. And, you know, I think um, I mean, there's there's a lot of people who didn't didn't find uh, didn't find their their uh, true calling till they were in their 40s, 50s, even 60s. So maybe I'm about to get there. You know, that's maybe that's. There it is. Think about someone like Julia Child, who um, I don't think she got famous as like a celebrity chef until she was, I want to say, 50. I think that's about right. I think she was 50 when that. Because she she was like a spy before that, like literally a spy working for the government. Um, And then she was like, okay, I'm done done being a spy. I'm going to go show everyone how to bake bread now. That's that's amazing. I didn't even know that. (laughs) <laughs> anyway um so yeah you you get out of college and you go straight into sen- that seems to be i uh, i don't want to again again i'm not trying to be condescending i'm just thinking out loud but that seems to be like a common occurrence for people who convert to in adulthood like you convert to christianity and you're all excited about christianity and you're like that means i'm supposed to be a pastor like am i totally to off me, base there? to me it didn't quite happen that way what what happened okay. was okay. that all these people, those same men that taught me about Jesus and and taught me to read the Bible and taught me to love the Bible, they're like they're like, dude, you're gifted. You need you need to do this. And so I I was scared witless, I'll put it politely, um, about the entire thing. But they're like, No, you need to do that. So like pray for the courage and then do it. You know, I graduated with my political science degree. And so I went to my favorite political science professor and I said, well, what do you think I ought to do? Because I could do graduate work in political science. And he goes, don't do that. Graduate work in political science is boring and pointless. (laughs) And I said, okay. He said, he said, well, what are your other plans? And so I said, well, uh, people have told me I should go to seminary. And he said, do that. And then he said the most amazing thing to me, this random guy who was not associated with my faith journey at all, or so I thought. He goes, that's what I, sh- that's what I would have done, but I didn't have the faith for it. And, and, and huh. strangely enough, Luke, uh, he was a Lutheran. He grew up Lutheran. Uh, 
So I, there I, you go. I mean, lots of Lutherans in Missouri. It so. is what it is. You know, <laughs> maybe there's a big yeah. mystical sign that no one else can see. And all the Lutherans just, you know, hmm. come here. I don't know. <laughs> so so that's what I did. I went I went back to St. Louis and I jumped right into seminary. Um, and I just, I thought I was going to be a pastor. And so from 06 until 2011, that's what I was doing. Um, and it was a wonderful hmm. experience. Um, but I, but I was a renegade. I can tell you that right now. Like, you know, when you're, when you're like in a, in a denominational training type of setting, when you're in, when you're at the national seminary of a, of a denomination, like this is serious business, you're going to be indoctrinated. That's the point. And so, um, Hmm. part of what was going on, and maybe this will give people the ground to dismiss my entire journey. Is that is that part of what was going on? Is is I found myself uh, resisting in certain ways that uh, that push to be uh, a good Presbyterian churchman, if I can put it that way, because because I started to learn hmm. more and more hmm. about God and and to think more and more about God, and I go, I have questions. I can't move to the practical because I have questions. And that's, Hmm. that's how it started. That's how, you know, when, when you have, um, when you have questions that demand answers, you you can't Mm -hmm. let it go until you get an answer. You, you just, Hmm. you just can't. And I think it's like that in science. It's like that in lots of different things. If there's something that you don't know that you need to know, you have to seek it until there's some resolution. Um, and I, I found that more and mm-hmm. more happening even before the specific journey that takes one from Presbyterian to Catholicism is mm-hmm. y- you, you discover that you're a person with questions and, and that becomes, mm-hmm. I know identity is a question later on your list of questions, but that, that becomes your identity Yeah, is I'm the guy that asks the questions, even if nobody like no one was at least openly hostile to me and my questions at any point. But I felt like um, in a certain way, I felt like I didn't belong. Um, And I felt Mm -hmm. like I couldn't just do what I was expected to do. I couldn't fall in line. And why can't I be like these other people that get the degree and get the knowledge and go get a pastor job? And so I felt a little mm-hmm. bit of that. And then the specific questions that take you from one paradigm to the other entered into that. Um, so that was the soup that was okay. that was brewing, that was cooking in the instant pot of my soul. Yeah, I'd like to poke at that a little if I could for a minute. Yeah. Um, I mean, when when you say, like, you know, I have these questions that Presbyterians couldn't answer, like, to me, that's, I mean, obviously, I'm no longer a Presbyterian either. So, <laughs> um, but it's interesting to hear that, because I know, you know, the Reformed faith, Presbyterianism, whatever, kind of prides itself on being the branch of Christianity with all the answers, you know, like, we've got this very, we've got this systematic theology with answers to every possible logical question. Um, so I, I guess I want, what I want to ask is like, what were some of these questions you had that you didn't get answers for? I mean, cause that's the real story to me. I think I can remember sitting, uh, in a liturgy class and we're mm-hmm. learning about how to construct a Chris- Christian liturgy and lead a worship service. And we were talking about, so the the teacher said something like, "Well, yes, only only an ordained teaching elder can officiate at the celebration of the Lord's Supper, which okay. of itself is not a controversial." And a teaching elder, for listeners who don't know, would be the equivalent of like a pastor or a priest, someone who is ordained as a pastor in the church, basically. Yeah. Right, and, and and since as a minister, I guess, and since be, the Greek, yeah, yeah, and since the Greek word that gets translated elder is presbyterios. You know, right. Presbyterians are rather fond of calling everyone in authority elders, whether they be mm-hmm. teachers or some other sort of elder. So no matter how young they are, right. <laughs> they're elders. <laughs> right. So, uh, 
So, and I was sitting there and I was, I was going, okay, wait a minute, boys. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You, you need to have an ordained teaching elder to officiate at the Lord's Supper, but we're not, we're not priests. So, so even right then I was going, is it a functional position or is it a sacramental position? Because if, mm-hmm. because if it's a functional position, it's getting inside baseball here and your listeners are probably like, what is going on with this guy? Um, <laughs> but, it, but, if it's, but if it's merely functional, then I don't need to be ordained anything. Um, because, you know, like mm-hmm. we could be the Plymouth Brethren and it'd be like, you know, Brother, jo- Brother John is going to officiate today. He's he's gonna lead us today, but it's not a for mm-hmm. it's not a formal thing, you know. It's just not. And so I go, uh, mm-hmm. if we're if we're inheritors of the Reformation here, boys, why is this ordination so important? Um, and and so for me, mm-hmm. it almost it felt sacramental. So I'll tell you what we had we had Baptists there. We we had we had all kinds. It's great mm-hmm. training, and people go from that place back to their communities of faith and they do their work and it doesn't matter if sure. they're going to be Baptists or they're going to be assemblies of God or whatever. So I went to one of my Baptist friends and mm-hmm. I was like, look, bro, why do we even have ordination? We're not priests. We're not, you know, this, this is not mm-hmm. a priesthood thing. So what's going on? Mm-hmm. And he goes, I don't know. He goes, I think it's, I think it's just the pomp and circumstance and they like it. <laughs> and so I'm like, Dude, that doesn't work, you know, like, uh, so, so in a way, in a way, somebody could claim, oh, you're just being unfair because you had the binary in your head from the very beginning. You're like, okay, either I'm a radical reformer or I'm a papist, one or the other. And I'm going, I don't, I don't mean Mm -hmm. to do that. Uh, You know, you can nuance it however you like, but to me, it's, it's either, or you're either, uh, you're either sacerdotal, you're either a priest or you're just a guy that is that is functioning in a certain role, and and so that that was that was a huge 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 moment of tension. Uh, was that right there? And th- mm. and then because I was considering ordination myself, then I, my question was: Well, if I'm going to make a vow before God and I'm going to be ordained before God, then I need to know whether all this stuff in all its particulars is true. So I just, mm-hmm. and it, it was beyond my studies. I just started digging into like, well, why is this true? And I kept saying, why, why, why? And I kept pulling, pulling on the string. Um, and then for me, the whole thing unraveled. And then for me, the next question is, was what is the church? And, and that seems like a crazy mm-hmm. question. What do you mean? What is it like? You can go to church and I have a church and you have a church and we all have a church. Everybody's got a church. Uh, What is it and where do you find it? I'll say it this way. I didn't even know how big my problems were at that time, but I just knew that I was, I was poking Mm. on a really big question. And I, and I found that some of the answers in the reformed tradition were too, too neat. And they didn't actually answer the question. Let me illustrate it with another narrative point. This this missionary comes. Uh, I think he was a Korean missionary that was working in Japan. Uh, I was like, wow, that's kind of okay. interesting. And he comes to he comes to share about his his missionary journeys, and he comes to preach the message. And he decides mm-hmm. that his sermon is going to be on uh on the lord's prayer what our but at some point as his like explanatory bring it home point he goes could jesus be asking something from you that you don't want to give and i was like yeah i think jesus is asking me to leave this place and, and then same same service the last the song before that or after that sermon was the church's one foundation. And I was mm. I was like, mm-hmm. dude, do we even understand that like there's no way to actually believe to actually believe this where we're sitting. It hit me like bricks on that day. Um and I knew like I was like I I got to I got to leave here. I want to say this 
no one hurt me, you know, no one, mm-hmm. no one betrayed me. Nobody, I had no, there was no emotional reason to leave the Presbyterian church. It, 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 it was yeah. very emotional, but it was also, uh, it was intellectual. It was like, if, if the early church mm-hmm. is this, then, then I can't, I can't see a harmony with where we are now. And especially not our, our dogmatic formulations of who we are. Long story short, um, the early church uh, seemed to be contiguous or continuous with the Roman Catholic Church of today. And that's, I think, Jesus put the early church here. And if, if the Catholic Church of today is that early church in a, you know, in a more, uh, a more fully fleshed out form, uh, then that's exactly why a person becomes Catholic. Um, and that's the only good reason. Uh, it's the only reason I'm going to mm. give. So what happens next? You just show up at the door of your local Catholic parish or what? <laughs> well, I, like I was, I, I did that weird, weirdly intellectual thing where I looked into it myself for like a whole year. I read on my own for a year between 09 mm-hmm. and 10. And then in the fall of 10, I was like, all right, I'm going to join uh, RCIA class, the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. That's the adult convert class for right. Catholics. Uh, so that's what I did. And I and I kind of knew at the back of my mind that if I joined RCIA, it was like the Roach Motel. I could check in, but I couldn't couldn't check out. <laughs> it's interesting that you go with Roach Motel instead of like Hotel California or something. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> like given the options, I'm going to compare myself to a cockroach. You can, uh, <laughs> yeah, you can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. That's a good, that's a good reference though too, you know. Um, <laughs> she got the Mercedes Benz. She got a lot of pretty, pretty boys that she calls friends. Um, but I, I, I didn't leave my seminary until the spring of 11 and I became Catholic in the spring of 11. So I'm sitting there in the mm-hmm. fall of 10 and in the winter of 10 and the, and in the spring and, you know, after the winter and in the spring of 11 going I'm studying Presbyterian theology, and at the same time, I'm learning Catholic theology. This is messed up. So I went to my professor, and I said, please, sir, you got to help me. I'm 18 months from graduating from this place, and I think I want to be become a Catholic. And he goes, all right. And he leans back in his chair. It was really dramatic. And he goes, he goes well, <laughs> uh, you're not the first, and you won't be the last. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm and I'm going and I'm seriously going. I'm like, are you freaking serious? Like, you're gonna lead with that? Yeah. <laughs> you're you're gonna lead with? I don't think I can stop you. Um. <laughs> and then he goes and then he goes. Here's some books to read, but they probably won't help. I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? What are you giving up on me? Like, it was so weird. Um. Yeah. And, and it's not like I, it's not like I, you know, cause he's my, he's my John Keating, right? It's not like, it's not like I could spend the next 45 minutes going, well, why did you say that? And, and what are you thinking? And why don't you try to stop me? It's just like, all right, I'm going to read, I'm going to read this stuff and whatever you got, that's what you got. Like he didn't pressure me. He's like, well, here, read this and read this. And so I did. <laughs> and, and it's funny how these things happen. It ends up confirming where your heart and mind are leading, you know, the other way. It ends up <laughs> confirming everything mm-hmm. you're thinking. Yeah, well, I think what I got to ask you about this journey um, is the big question that you and every Protestant to Catholic convert I've read or talked to seems to entirely sidestep, um, <laughs> which is, you know, why, why Catholicism and why not Eastern Orthodoxy? You know? Well, thank you, thank you so much for asking this question, and and I can be I can be honest with you and say that in my journey, um, I did not um, look terribly heavily into Eastern Orthodoxy. Um, I knew that it was a possibility, okay. um, but for <laughs> me, um, in a certain way, it was geographical because I went, you know, I'm. I'm a Western Christian. So, um, so even if I could think like an Eastern, um, 
so so I was disinclined to do that anyway. So so I didn't I didn't <laughs> I I know some of your other convert types will kind of see Eastern Orthodoxy as like a as like a a safe haven from you know they're Protestants and they don't want to be Protestant anymore. Uh, so they go to Eastern. <laughs> oh yeah, like no Pope, but I can you know but I can have all the high churchy jazz that I want. Um, when I started looking into this Catholic thing, um, I did not sleep more than three hours a night from November all the way until two weeks before Easter in 2011. Hmm. And so I was like, I'm sleeping three hours a night and I'm, and I'm writing weird poetry <laughs> in the middle of the night. Never a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> like what is going on? And I ask people about it later. They're like, Oh yeah, that was Satan. <laughs> really? Why? And they're like, Oh yeah. He always messes with people really bad right before, like right before they do something like this. <laughs> and I'm like, you could have told me that before now. Seriously. <laughs> that would have been nice to know before now. Because I'm, you know, because you're not sleeping and you're writing weird poetry and, and you think you're, you think you're insane. And, and, and like no one, you know, you're like, what do I do? And you're like, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. But as soon as I, uh, and I'll tell you one more story about that, about that conversion. It's all, it's sure. all narrative points. Um, I was with my brother. We went grocery shopping and then we went to the pet store cause we had a dog that just died and, <laughs> and we didn't even make it 48 hours before we got a new dog. Uh, it was hilarious in its own way. And we're in the pet store. And so I, I'm talking to Jesus in the pet store and I'm like, let me get this straight. Jesus, you're saying that basically I get to believe pretty much everything I believe now with a few modifications, except I get to do it in union with, the blessed mother and all the saints. Is that what you're saying? And Jesus was kind of like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I'll tell you what, that was the, after I decided that that was the first steady night of sleep, full eight hours of sleep that I got was that very night. Um, hmm. So, and I'm not saying that that's dispositive or that's, you know, that's how I knew that it was the right thing. Bull crap. I don't know that. Mm -hmm. I just know that whoever was messing with me, wasn't messing with me anymore. Uh, and so sure. that was one of those experiences. Uh, and I stopped hmm. writing the weird poetry. Uh, so, okay. <laughs> what if the world needs more weird poetry though? What then? Oh, I, I started new weird poetry later, but at least, <laughs> at least at that time I paused it for a little bit. So. <laughs> All right. Let me ask you this real quick. Um, yeah. cause we, we do need to wrap up. We're running out of time. Um, aside from your new beliefs themselves, what would you say you learned from this whole experience? I, I'm going to be very ecumenical here and say <laughs> that Jesus is real. Mm -hmm. the, the triune God is real, Father, mm -hmm. Son, and Holy Spirit. So if, uh, and, and although I firmly believe that everybody should be Catholic, uh, um, I also believe that, uh, you know, God calls people to different places at different times, and that's totally cool. Um, mm -hmm. But if, if you hear Jesus authentically calling out to you, you just have to go, even if it's the craziest thing that you could possibly ever imagine. Uh, that's, that's what I've learned from this experience is uh, God speaks and God speaks in a way that no one else does. And you can trust that. You don't have to necessarily trust anyone else that you meet per se. Um, but, but God cannot, uh, does not deceive, is not able to deceive, will never deceive. And so... Mm -hmm. And, and my thing is, you know, I wasn't following Presbyterian Jesus and I don't, <laughs> and I don't follow Catholic Jesus today. I just follow Jesus. Um, mm -hmm. And so if you're out there and you're like, gee, I don't know about this Catholic thing. Fine. Just follow Jesus. You know, if you're, hmm. if you're a Christian, I mean, if you're not a Christian, you're listening to this. You're like, I don't know what this guy's talking about, but, <laughs> but if you follow Jesus and you get a weird call well, try to make sure it's from Jesus. But then once you do, just go for it, you know, because mm -hmm. as he, mm -hmm. he ever let you down, I don't think so. 
So hmm. to me, I still I still consider myself an evangelist, and that's my basic message: is that the triune God is real. He's good. He communicates. He really speaks in this world. He really lives, and he wants us to live and have life abundantly. So hmm. that's that's it, man. That's the whole. Yeah. Uh, that's me. All right. Well. Let me give you one more opportunity to evangelize if you want. I have three questions I try to ask all my guests, um, just getting getting the thoughts out there. Um, how do we know truth? How do we know ourselves? So these are the three questions. Um, first of all, what is identity? Does everyone have an identity? How do you know your identity? What do you, what do you think? It's an interesting question. Um, I think we do have an identity, um, and I think it's ultimately found in God. Um and I, and I think what I've begun to discover through this process, but also in other thought processes, is that there is, there is a limit to our own self-definition or our ability to make our own identity. We, we have a freedom in that because we're free beings and we're, uh, we're intelligent beings. And, you know, existentialism, even in a Christian context, has a certain appeal like you know, I'm the master of my journey in a certain sense, but I think there's a limit there. And once, mm -hmm. once you, once you hit that limit, you have to submit joyfully to the limitations of that self, uh, um, hmm. of your own self-definition. So I have some freedom mm -hmm. in how I present myself to you, but in point of fact, I was created not of my own will. Um, I have a destiny that is not of my own will, um, and I have to submit to that freely. And if I venture too far outside of that, then um, I'm not authentically me or who I'm supposed to be. So yes, identity hmm. exists, and that's a brief sketch of where I think it begins and ends. is is like we have some freedom, but it it has a limit. Um, second, what is human nature? Are we all the same deep down? Are we all different deep down? Are we all blank slates? What do you think? Well, I don't think we're a blank slate. Um, it, and, you know, I got a political science degree, like I told you. Uh, and mm -hmm. so one of our options was Rousseau, philosophically. Um, and he said we were blank mm -hmm. slates. He was maybe the originator of the idea that we were blank slates. I don't believe that. Um, and we, mm -hmm. we, we, you and I talked a little bit about that earlier when we talked about um, being formed or earthed in community. Um, and so right. I think some of the limits of self-definition come from right there. So, so I don't believe that we're blank mm -hmm. slates. Mm -hmm. um, we can change some things. We can obviously, we can obviously rethink things. We can rethink truth. Uh, we can reorganize truth, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm not a relativist. Um, I, I believe in a hierarchy of truth. Uh, and in a certain way, mm -hmm. um, rather than some radical notion of meta narrative, I believe that that hierarchy of truth gives me a freedom, um, an intellectual freedom to be generous. Uh, so, hmm. because if it doesn't, you know, if some new exploration or new idea doesn't challenge the basic hierarchy, then I don't have to be afraid of it. Truth is truth is truth, and there's a harmony sure. between what can be known by reason and what can be known uh, revealed by God directly. Um, and that and that's very much in the Catholic tradition of uh, of a harmony between faith and reason. So, uh, and and that gives an mm -hmm. immense freedom in that regard. So yeah, I really appreciate that uh, about the Catholic tradition. Um... And finally, we, we've touched on this already, but what is truth? How do you know truth? How do you know me when you've uh, found truth? What do you think? Truth, um, firstly, is a person. Truth is Jesus. He identified himself as the truth. Mm -hmm. um, and interestingly, St. John uses that word logos uh, in his, his gospel and in, mm -hmm. in that prologue to his gospel to, to refer to this Greek notion that was floating around as as the harmony of all wisdom, the synthesis of all wisdom. Um, and so truth, mm -hmm. ultimate, ultimate truth harmonizes every lesser truth. Uh, so you know that you found truth mm. when you find a harmony, uh, not just in your feelings, 
but also in your mind and in uh, the world as it is, as you can observe it. So, uh, so falsehood mm-hmm. corrupts and destroys, and truth harmonizes and opens and makes generous and makes room for for other lesser truths and other mm. tangential truths and all that stuff. So that is truth. Well, Jason, it has been a pleasure having you on the show, man. Um, before we go, you got anything you want to plug? Your blog or anything else? Yeah, come, come to my blog for sure. Um, and also, uh, I'm writing a book. Maybe one day it will be published. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to, I'm tentative, tentatively calling it um, feels on wheels, um, <laughs> a philosophy of life, love and wheelchair ramps. So, yeah, we did not mention this yet, but, uh, Jason is wheelchair bound. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. I, I totally yeah. forgot. Yeah, that. We hadn't mentioned this on the show yet, but that's a great title. I love that. Um, <laughs> and, and some, some mutual friends actually helped me come up with that. Uh, so yeah that's great and i thought is that that's campy that's stupid no one will ever no one will ever buy that title and people are like no you need to keep that title it needs it's it's pretty phenomenal so hopefully i can keep it when it gets published i'm i'm most of the way through that book i think but we'll see so and then before i go i also want to say that after that book i'm going to write like like a moron's guide to the gospel of john um I might even well as a moron I very much look forward to that <laughs> yeah because because John was that first of the Christian scripture that called out to me in a special way so uh I've always been mm-hmm. devoted to John and and to his gospel especially but and I and I just recognize I'll say this I've been reading commentaries for most of my adult life and they're too hard for ordinary people like I yeah. I've yeah. I have two degrees and almost three and I was like I don't even like reading half of these. So <laughs> I want to take an uh take a crack at an idiot's version of one. So that's what I'm gonna do. Well, as someone who's got a book about the butt jokes in the Bible coming out in a couple of months, I respect that. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to reading your book. You don't even understand. <laughs> and I'm looking for I'm looking forward to having it out in the world because I've been working on this thing. Oh, for well, I mean, depending on how you want to count, seven years now. But gosh, it um, I've been working on it in earnest since like 2017 because I had a publisher who was gonna publish it last year, and then they bailed on me after I poured like a year, two years of my life into it. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. Just, I'm just glad it's gonna be out there. Um, so yeah, for anyone who uh didn't catch it at the beginning of the show, Jason's website is Kettiner. That's K-E-T-T-I-N-G-E-R dot blogspot.com. It's a great little Catholic blog. I read it a lot. Check it out. Um, This has been Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. You can find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington or just go to my website, which is LukeTHarrington.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you around. I'll go ahead and I'll let you weigh the merits of Jason's religious beliefs and his conversion for yourself. What I'm personally really interested in from that conversation was the stuff I said about Bigfoot, which may not surprise uh, many of you because I really latch on. I tend to really latch on to stupid stuff, but I'm fascinated by the paranormal and I'm fascinated by the intersection between belief in God Uh, and belief in the paranormal. Um, And if you're fascinated by that sort of thing, there's a really interesting episode uh, I'd like to recommend to you from the Ezra Klein podcast that went up just under a month ago, June 10th. Um, Ezra Klein, if you're not familiar, is um, he's a journalist. He's the editor-in-chief, I believe, for Vox.com. And he does this podcast where he does like in-depth interviews with other people it's to be honest it's one of the podcasts i've been kind of half trying to rip off with this show so if you like this show you might like the ezra klein podcast um but 
back in in early June, around the time when the FBI, if you remember, released some footage of UFOs that they said was, you know, undoctored, accurate footage to what was going on in the sky at the time, um, while they obviously took no position on the question of are those aliens, um, Ezra had on a guest named Diana Walsh Pasalka, who was a professor of religious studies at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. Um, And she published a book last year called American Cosmic UFOs, Religion and Technology, um, in which she approached UFOs from the standpoint of a religious studies professor. And she put words to something that I have been trying to distill in my mind for a long time, which is fundamentally, there's nothing all that unusual about UFO phenomena. We see reports of weird things from the sky, weird creatures from the sky throughout history. Um, She references specifically uh, St. Francis and when he received his uh, stigmata, um, there was this weird stuff going on in the sky at the time that gave him the stigmata. Um, and what she said about that was, we only perceive these things to be creatures from another planet because we are immersed in this culture that sees everything through a technological framework, right? So if we see weird creatures from the sky, our response is, oh, they must be from another planet. They must have powerful technology. They must have come here to uh, perform scientific experiments on us. Um, And I honestly kind of wonder, and to be clear, these are my thoughts, not Dr. Pasalka's, but I honestly kind of wonder, like, if this cult of the UFO and this cult of aliens is this is is sort of modernism's last dying gasp, like the last dying gasp of this philosophy that said, oh, we'll be able to understand the whole universe through science and reason. Um, and, it, you know, trying to force this bizarre phenomenon into the sieve of, oh, it's all just technology, you know. Um, to be clear, I personally don't care that much about aliens. I said I'm fascinated by the paranormal, and that's true. Um, But like, again, like whether Bigfoot exists does not really matter to my day-to-day life. Whether aliens exist does not really matter to my day-to-day life. But it is interesting to me to think about um, what a weird problem this idea of aliens presents to kind of a scientism, you know, the belief that science can explain everything. Because science, by definition, only studies things that are repeatable and controllable and testable. That's what science does. And if you say for the sake of argument that the whole modern conception of these greys that abduct people and cows, like, I'm not saying I believe that, but I'm saying if you say for the sake of argument that that's the case, that every conspiracy theory about UFOs you've heard is true, um, how would you prove that scientifically? You know, um, like if you're positing this race of beings that is so advanced that they can fly a spaceship from one planet to another without any real problems, they can abduct people, wipe their memories so that they only recover the, the um, memory fully in hip, under hypnosis. How would you prove something like that? You know, um, this is, you're talking about a race of beings that has vastly superior technology to us and is absolutely determined to remain hidden. If something like that did exist, how would you prove it? You know, and I'm not saying aliens exist. Like maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't particularly care. Um, but what does seem to exist is this phenomenon of a UFO, a UAP, unexplained aerial phenomena. Um, and not every encounter with a UAP, uh, has to be true for some of them to be true. Like even if 1% of these reported encounters are true, you have to conclude there's something causing these things to happen. And whether you push that through kind of this technological sieve or this religious sieve is really an interesting cultural question. Um, And it's a reminder that everything we experience is filtered through these different 
presuppositions that we're basically handed by the culture we grow up in. Um, and some of y'all, I know your eyes glazed over the second I brought up Bigfoot and aliens, um, because you know, you're used to like crazy people yelling on, on street corners about those things. And I'm not going to say that I'm not one of those crazy people, but the point is not Bigfoot exists. Aliens exist. I don't know. I don't care. The point is to be aware of how much the cultural milieu you came of age in is informing how you interpret the information and the phenomena around you. Now, when Jason and I were talking, he mentioned several events in his life that convinced him that not only is God real, but God wants something from him. Those were his words. Um, and that was just really fascinating to me because I know there's a lot of people who hear stories like that and they just say, well, it's just coincidence. Um, and maybe it is. Um, but in some sense, God is in the same category as the aliens um, in that if this being, this posited superior being is true, if he's out, you know, if he, if he exists, how would you prove that? You know, um, in some sense, we're all just kind of stumbling through life, encountering phenomena and forcing that through whatever sieve we've been given. And I don't know exactly what that means for you personally, but it is something to be aware of. And I don't know, maybe something to be skeptical of. Um, maybe consider the possibility that you live in a universe where not every being can be put under human control. You know? I don't know. Just a thought. <laughs> That's it for this week. Um, if you like what I'm doing, please take a second to get on Apple Podcasts, give me a five-star review, um, or a four-star review, or like a one-star review. I don't care. Um, more reviews help the algorithm, help me get found. Um, and aren't we all trying to get found in the end? If you want to support me financially, there are a couple of things you can do. Um, just go to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash change my mind. You can throw me three bucks. I've had a few people do that. It's great. It's like change in the, uh, guitar case. I don't know. Um, I don't play guitar, but, um, <laughs> if you don't want to do that, uh, I do have a book coming out in just under two months now. It's called Murder Bears, Moonshine and Mayhem, Strange Stories from the Bible to Leave You Amused, Bemused and Hopefully Informed. If you like what I'm doing on the show, you might like the book. It's, um, it's a humorous and mostly objective approach to what we know and don't know about the Bible, um, coming out from a Christian publisher, written with a general audience in mind, maybe people who wouldn't ordinarily pick up a Bible because they think it's just for the old ladies in the pews. I don't know. It's um, pretty cool. Uh, if you want to check it out, go to murderbearsbook.com. My publisher has actually made the first couple chapters available for free. All you got to do is give them an email address and they'll immediately be there as a, a PDF that you can read. If you like it, you can pre-order the book on Amazon or your favorite bookseller. Anyway, I want to thank Jonathan Clausen for editing the show. He's great. I want to thank Jason Kettinger for being on the show. That guy is also great. It was a delight talking to him. I want to thank Raven Creek Social Club for hosting the podcast. Check out their other podcasts, uh, Faith and Other Oddities and The Commentarians. They're both great. And finally, I want to thank you for listening to Changed My Mind. And please don't be afraid to change your mind. Thank you.